What up, what up, what up? Welcome into a new edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me as he does each and every time, my best friend, co-host, coach of the pod, co-champion of the podcast, oh. the one and only Greg Manakis. Oh, captain, my captain, Green with Envy, ATX Men's League champion. How you feeling today? I'm exhausted, bro. I'm exhausted. We're <laughs> going to give a full recap of our men's league. So those of you that followed us over from our previous feed onto this feed, you'll know that we've been in a men's league. Will and I decided to start playing pickup hoops again, or actually real hoops because there's referees and teams and everything. We don't have re- refer- re- referees in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm tired, man. I couldn't fall asleep literally until four o'clock last night uh, after the game. You know, we went out for some beers after the game with the guys. And uh, I was just so amped up from the victory, from the buzzer beater, that I couldn't. I literally fell asleep at four o'clock. Yeah. So giving away the ending here a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna touch on this at the end of the podcast. But if you've been following us on social media, whether you're on Instagram or on Twitter at Green Every Pod, you've seen us tweet out a victory photo. As Greg mentioned, a buzzer buzzer beating championship for your boys. We'll touch on that on the back end of this episode. So if y'all have been following along from our previous feed or are just curious to learn more about the photo that's driving the internet wild, <laughs> go, go ahead and check us out in the back end. We will hit that up for you. But here's kind of the setup of what we want to do today. So we are recording this before the Celtics and Suns take place on Wednesday night, West Coast game, timing-wise. Just the schedule doesn't line up for us to be able to record after that game or early in the morning, so we won't have that recap for you. So what we want to do here is talk a little bit about the road trip that the Celtics are on as a whole, 2-0 right now with wins over Brooklyn and Toronto, who we're going to talk about here in just a minute. We're going to kind of look across all of that road trip, which just got the added bit of drama of Al Horford being ruled out with COVID, so he will not have played in that game against Phoenix. We'll talk a little bit how that may impact the rest of the road trip. And then in the second half of the podcast, before, of course, we give you all the drama from our from our intramural basketball game last night, uh, we want to talk about the best current duos in the NBA. Everyone has been talking about this season that Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum are having. It is truly special. But how special is it and where does it rank amongst current NBA duos? We're going to break that down here on the second half. But For right now, Greg, like I mentioned, Celtics in the middle of a six-game road trip, currently 2-0 as we're recording, road wins against Brooklyn and Toronto. We'll see what happens with this Phoenix game. But this most recent win against Toronto, third game in four nights against three presumably Eastern Conference playoff teams that include Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and that's just the All-Stars. Never mind some of the some of these teams that have superb role players that are on these teams as well. Three games and four nights. We've talked about this before in the gambling sphere. This is usually kind of a scheduled loss, especially when you think about traveling to Canada and then going to the West Coast trip that we're going to talk about here in a minute. I think that this might have been one of the Celtics' best wins of the season. Sans Al Horford, sans Malcolm Brogdon. What were your thoughts on the Celtics going in to Toronto and pulling out this 116 to 110 victory? Well, it's always a little bit harder if you're the road team on the uh, third game in four nights, but the Raptors were also third uh, third game in four nights. So they were um they had pretty much everybody playing, right? Were they missing anybody in that game? Uh, I think they, they didn't were. have um uh who am I thinking of here? 
uh, precious. No precious to Chua. Yeah, but that he, was the the one. He's guy been underwhelming he's, exactly the entire yeah. year. Yeah. So when you when you look at their lineup, you know, obviously the Raptors present some difficulties with their athleticism. They start guys that are just ginormous. Gen- uh, OG Ananobi's huge. Siakam's huge. Coloco's seven one. Scotty Barnes is you know Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, year two. And then Fred Van Vliet is a good defender, undersized. Uh, Van Vliet actually made some news today by unfollowing everybody in the Raptors organization. Don't know if you saw Ooh, that. Uh, I did but, not see this, but I know that this has been kind of brewing in Raptor circles of the the frustration of his play to start the year. And, and he was pretty poor on offense in this game. Yeah. Van Vliet was three for 14, one for six from the field. Um, and just really didn't make an impact, and the Celtics weren't worried about him. He still played 38 minutes, right? So yeah. Nick Nurse is still trusting him to be out there for a majority of the game. I think the fact that they don't really have a backup point guard, I was surprised we didn't see any Delano Banton in mm-hmm. that game. Um, he normally kind of gives us some some problems. Scotty Barnes, uh, 41 minutes out of Scotty. I thought he had a really nice stretch to start the fourth quarter. But to me, the problem with the Raptors is – they play way too much ISO ball and they don't really have an identity, right? So like they'll have Siakam dominate a couple possessions, but he takes them out of their offense because he just wants to go one-on-one or one-on-five. Not the best passer in the world, despite having seven assists and averaging about seven assists. He just doesn't really worry you as a playmaker for the other team. In my opinion, maybe other people will feel differently, but I'm never worried about Siakam making plays. I'm worried about him scoring one-on-one, which bogs down the offense. So then you got Scotty Barnes, who kind of needs to be a point forward. Siakam needs to have the ball in his hand. And Fred Van Vliet, who probably is the guy that should have the ball in his hands just because he's the the best point guard on their team. and was an all-star just last year. It just doesn't look like the Raptors have much for the Celtics, and I don't know that they're going to be able to make it through the season without making any changes to this lineup because the Celtics' biggest takeaway from that game, we just look like way better of a team than them. Yeah, I mean, not at full strength, and you could argue, especially in that first half, definitely didn't play to the potential. That third quarter really shifted things in the Celtics' favor. This has always been kind of my thing with the Raptors and in my mind they're a little bit of the same way that I view the Miami Heat but a, a slightly lighter version because I think Miami actually has a little bit better high-end talent even if you know Toronto can be a little bit deeper at times actually that's maybe that's not even true really when you look at it but I think with both of those teams I have no desire to play either of those teams in a playoff series I like both of their coaches I think both teams are just the ultimate pests in the best way possible in that even when they're not playing well they're still not going to make your life easy and it's going to be a grinded out series but to get my Stephen A. Smith on at the end of the day I don't think either of them are going to be a concern for the Celtics team if we're even mildly healthy I think the Celtics are just the superior team and that's to a degree what I think we saw play out especially when you saw the the Raptors go I think they had a six-point lead at the half and then when the third quarter came around, the Celtics flipped the script, led by Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum. And I think Marcus Smart deserves a massive shout-out. This was one of those classic Marcus games where he had a great – I mean, he had eight points and four assists in that, in that third quarter. But that doesn't nearly 
do justice to to what he did in that third quarter with his energy, his defense. And I think one of the signature plays was I believe he had stripped Fred, uh, not Fred Van Lee, excuse me. I believe it was Gary Trent um, at the top of the key or on the wing, dove on the floor, hit Jason Tatum uh, for a pass up ahead. He gets fouled and goes to the foul line. You hear him give out this very vocal scream. And, and you could just really feel that while the Celtics could have turned it in and said, hey, listen, guys, we're on a long road trip. We just had brutal back-to-back, basically back-to-back against Miami, Brooklyn. We didn't have our best game. Like this is an easy game to just say, "Hey, let's look ahead to the West Coast. We got a rematch coming with you know the NBA over the NBA Finals, which I'm sure they're going to get geared up for. We got Phoenix, which everybody's talking about. Devin Booker's just in this MVP race, and, and they just refused to to fold. And Marcus Smart led that charge and was instrumental. And I thought this was a definitive mark. This is the the moments that we need from Marcus Smart are these type of games that he had like in the third quarter against the Raptors. Yeah. I tweeted out about halfway through the third quarter. I was like, do Toronto Raptors fans just have nightmares about Marcus Smart? Because it seems like he dominates a stretch every single time we play. If, if he had just gone out of the game at that point, he would have already dominated the third quarter. And then he hit two threes, had a steal had a couple more assists, had that play you were talking about, took a charge at the end of the quarter. And the, (laughs) Like Tatum obviously is the best player and had yeah. a great third quarter himself. 17 points smart. and five rebounds. Just, just casual. <laughs> crazy, crazy, but smart. I mean, shout out to the first of the floor guys. They, I don't know if you listened to their episode with Greeny, but they had Greeny from Barstool on. They were also extolling uh, Marcus Smart's performance in the Raptors game. So we got two straight episodes here where we're just like fawning over Marcus Smart and all the stuff that he does. But it is so noticeable when you don't see him in the Nets game, you know, and the offense is very bogged down. And then you see him in this Raptors game and everything's moving better. Um, We didn't have two other connectors on the team in Brogdon and Horford, Mm -hmm. and we were still able to get the job done. But I think that kind of leads me to Blake Griffin because I think they talked about Marcus enough on the last episode on First of the Floor. Blake, you know, he was 32 minutes in that game, which I would imagine is a season high. I haven't double-checked that, but it seems like that would be a season high. When you only play once a week, you know, balls to the wall. Let's let's get it. But he had he had that great um, pump and go from the three point line where he dunked. It seemed like he got like a little lift from Scotty from behind. He gave him a push in the back, which I think carried him a little bit further and, and harder yeah, he, to the He rim. needs a little trampoline boost these days. Yeah, okay. I, I respect it. I respect it. But Blake Griffin, man, thirty two minutes, thirteen points, eight rebounds, two assists, one steal. And he was just all over the place, both ends of the court, ma- making all the right reads. He's not. So one of the things that you and I, I think both were frustrated or I, I guess just like we, we noticed a lot last year when Blake Griffin was in the game, he was shooting the three probably a little bit too uh, too willingly. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't really done that with the Celtics. I haven't checked his numbers, but he only took one three in, Latin, in the game against the Raptors. And it seems like when he does have that three point shot, he's deciding to move it and screen, move it and cut. Um, he's just doing a great job making great decisions when he gets the ball on the outside. And I don't think the Celtics also, when they see him open for a three-pointer, we're not like, all right, let's get the ball to Blake. You know, they're like, all right, let's maybe hold it for another dribble, another count, and then we could get it to Blake if there's nothing else that materializes. But he's just doing a great job. Yeah, so so just to answer your question, he's 4 of 11 on the season. So he's taken 11 three-point shots um, on the season. Love, love, love this wrinkle of Blake do not worry about, hey, do I have to be ready for a minute here, a minute there? Basically, hey, we're not playing Al on back-to-backs. That's your night. 
that's your night. Gear up. Be ready for you know twenty five to to thirty plus minutes, and and just focus on having yourself ready for that. And I think allowing Blake to have that mentality for a guy like we've talked about before, like this guy was all NBA. This guy's probably a Hall of Famer or a borderline Hall of Famer. Some so he's in the conversation. He's getting votes, and you know I think a lot. I think too many people get into the NBA Hall of Fame, but I don't think necessarily that would be the case with him. Like I think he's probably someone who's pretty deserving. Multiple All NBA nods has been you know top five and MVP at least once, if not twice. Um, and, and so I think for a guy like that, I, and I wonder if this was discussed when bringing him in, because I can see this being, even though you're playing less, more appealing to a guy in this part of his career that he knows, all right, when I play, I'm not going to be me, but I get to be in the full flow of the game. I don't have to just fit in like to the point where you were saying when we would watch him with Brooklyn, you know, which of course I still can't believe he got a tribute for, but whatever. (laughs) I went over that last time, but because he was only in those games for 10 to 15 minutes, he was basically just a stretch four, and they almost, I don't know if they wanted him to shoot those threes, but that seemed to be where the ball was ending with him. And I think what we've seen with him in his stint, his young stint so far with the Celtics is that, like you said, you pointed out all the things that he's doing, moving the ball. And, and you look at the end of that Raptors game, he was on the boards. He was in there getting in the mix. He made one of the last shots that really sealed the deal when Toronto was, was kind of hanging around, kind of creeping around, being the pests that they are that I talked about. And Blake was, you know, he was instrumental in shutting that door. And so I, I can't speak highly enough about the way Blake is being used, how Blake's reacting. And it makes me wonder, Greg, should we recruit Blake to play for our pickup team? He's only play, <laughs> He's only playing once a week. I mean, he may have the means... You know, if he needs an extra run, come out, hang out with the ATX green with the MV squad. Like, I, I think maybe it, we man. should make a pitch. We should make a pitch. Yeah, Blake, Blake looks great, man. Um, I think he would by far be the best player on the green with Envy team. But on the <laughs> Celtics, you know, all he has to do is play once a week and just make an impact. The word I always like to use is facsimile, right? So he is a facsimile of what Al Horford is going to bring on the court. Um, you know, he's not going to hit the three, but he's going to do pretty much everything else that Al can do besides the chase down blocks, mm-hmm. right? He's a great positional defender, great screener, great cutter, great passer. You can run some offense through him and delay at the top. Um, you can run some get actions, you know, all the stuff that the Celtics like to run on the offensive end. I think he just fits right in with what Al Horford does, which is why I thought it was so smart for the Celtics to bring him in because obviously Al at his age can't do it. And then Blake at his um, advanced stage in his career can't do it on a night to night basis. So having both of them to kind of lean on the other one when the other one Mm -hmm. can't play is interesting. Now, the one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, Will, is when we get to nut crunch time in the playoffs, will Joe Missoula decide to mix up the rotations a little bit more where Blake Griffin's actually on the court, or is he just purely going to be breaking case in an emergency throughout this entire year? Or will we see him getting some minutes in a playoff rotation when, when Missoula's not worried about saving him for the entire year? My guess is we don't see him. My, my guess is breaking case of emergency. And so he'll have a built in flow and rhythm because you can look back to, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many back-to-backs are remaining or if, you know, we just talked about, or we mentioned at the top, Al Horford is out with, with COVID at least for this Phoenix game, maybe a little bit longer. He's going to have several games built in where, you know, like you mentioned, he played 32 minutes in this, in this Raptors game. And so he'll have a rapport. So it's not going to be as if it's a totally foreign concept, but I do think that's going to be a break in case of emergency with Blake Griffin. By the time we get to the playoffs, if everyone's healthy, including, of course, Rob, who is on the precipice of being able to return, 
it, it just doesn't seem like there's going to be enough minutes and it's going to be exactly the opposite of what they're trying to do if they were to fit him in there is they're going to try and be hey here's just we need you know five quick minutes and you know maybe there's a scenario depending on how a series is going in which that makes sense but i think it would have to lay itself out. i, I can't see that being something that they plan on doing it would have to be kind of a, a mid-series adjustment but i think that's a nice luxury to have and this is where you know when i jokingly mentioned to you earlier in the season when the crowd was chanting for blake to come in and it was reminiscent of chanting for taco to come in and and very quickly you were like well he can't be the new taco because if there actually was an emergency we still have a chance with blake griffin with taco mm-hmm. it just wasn't going to work out like that like if, we, if taco had to play big minutes in a playoff game we're gonna we were gonna be in trouble if blake griffin has to do it we can find other ways to to, to kind of make this work it shifts the dynamic of our team but still keeps you know, the idea of who we want to be and what we want to do intact. And so that that is a major difference. So I do think having that as a luxury when we get to the postseason is going to be big. Uh, one of the things I want to touch on, and this is something I'm stealing from your playbook a little bit. You love looking at the total passes for mm-hmm. this team. And so with the second Miami game and Brooklyn game specifically, one of the things that jumped out was, man, you know, we almost got out of a win again with, with their against Miami at home. And then we got out of a we got out a win against Brooklyn without playing our best. And it felt like, man, we really kind of got away from the offense that has made them the best offense in the entire history of the NBA, you know, through 25 games to this point. And it just felt like there was less ball movement. So these are one of the times where I do believe, like, all right, let's let's watch something see what we think is happening and then let's take a look at you know a stat that can maybe back this up or you know or or maybe it doesn't back it up and in this case i went to total passes which is a stat that over the last couple years when you and i as you and i have been podcasting that you always love to to kind of go to and so i looked at that heat game total passes 270 now remember that was with overtime so if you subtract that overtime i'm sure it's probably somewhere around the the 250ish mark brooklyn 228 so a significant dip in that game. And then for this game here, it was back to in regulation, 269 total passes. So it definitely felt like that ball was moving around a bit more. And it felt like in that Toronto game, the Celtics, which is hopefully a really good sign as we're heading out on, on what's going to be a tough four game West coast trip that we're talking about here in just a second, that they're that, that, you know, quick blip against Miami and Brooklyn was exactly that just a quick blip and that hopefully they're getting back to being able to move that ball the way that we've seen them do so far this year. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the teams that we're about to play and see if the, if the Celtics can uh, get into the Tyler hero hunting problem that they did against the heat. And um, I don't know that the Suns necessarily have anybody that they could, that they could get out of their offense to mm-hmm. go hunt. Um, the Warriors, Jordan Poole would be that guy. Yeah, that Jordan. They, they'll probably do that to Jordan Poole. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, I'm interested with the rest of the road trip, man. Yeah, let's real. start talking let's, about that. Yeah. Here. Let's go there. Um, so the Suns game, no Chris Paul still, right? Uh, I as think- of right now, we're recording a few hours before uh, before game time. I believe last I saw he was listed as questionable. I believe it was him and Tory Craig. I'll try and look this up um, as you're as you're going through this. But yeah, go for it. Yeah, but without Al Horford, this Suns game tonight definitely poses a problem. Maybe I'll look prophetic by talking about this for those <laughs> of you that are listening tomorrow. Um, I think DeAndre Ayton is going to be a big problem for the Boston Celtics. He can't really stretch the floor to three, so he's not really a pick-and-pop guy. 
But think about the way that like Vucevic just gave us problems for the Bulls. And DeAndre Ayton is a better player than Vuce at this point mm-hmm. in their careers. He's had some really, really dominant games. He's had some 30-15 games this year. And I think he's figured out who he is as a player. We're going to get into that duo conversation in a little bit. But he's a guy to kind of keep your eye on. Is kind of working his way into the duo conversation because of the problem that he's posing for a lot of teams that just don't really have centers, right? There, there, are, there are some solid centers. There are some unicorn centers. Um, but he's kind of like living in between the unicorns and the solid centers. He's one of those who's the centers. It's like, is he going to be a star? Or is he just going to mm-hmm. be this like good role player? We don't really know yet with DeAndre Ayton. But with the Suns game, one other thing I'm I'm looking forward to tonight. So one, how are we going to deal with DeAndre Ayton? And two, how are we going to contain Devin Booker? Obviously, Devin Booker is another MVP candidate. I think Tatum will be up for that game. I think Jalen will be up for that game. Because there's an argument that, you know, Jalen is closer to Booker than Booker is to Tatum. So Ooh, that'll like be that. that'll be that'll be fun to watch tonight just to see how they're able to bounce back. They're continuing to travel on this road trip. Maybe this is the game with the Warriors game coming up. That's actually more of a trap game, despite being against another top team in the league. Uh we'll see. But I think if I had to guess, my money's on the Celtics all year, every game. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a game that I think, unless I knew there was, uh, I mean, significant injuries that they weren't going to be playing, that I wouldn't feel good about the Celtics winning in that game. So the Phoenix game, they're 16-8 and eight as we're recording this for first place in the Western Conference. That will be a hell of a matchup. But let's, let's look ahead, since we're not going to know what will happen in that game, let's look ahead to the final three games of this road trip. So as we're going through this, we don't know if by the time the Celtics get to Saturday night, uh, against the Golden State Warriors, if they're going to be two and one on this road trip, or if they're going to be three and zero, oh. but the ro- the road trip will conclude on Saturday with Golden State followed by back to back against LA Monday, Tuesday, Clippers on Monday, Lakers on Tuesday, and so with these games, you know the the wrinkle of Al Horford not being in there is kind of a it, it, I mean of course it's a big deal not having him as much as we just praised Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin against Toronto was going up against Christian Coloco and some of the other games that he's played against, you know, like the Hornets, it's Mason Plumley. When you're talking about, like you already mentioned, DeAndre Ayton, when we get to Golden State, it's a little bit of Kevon Looney and Draymond Green, their backups. You know, James Wiseman did get called up. We'll see. And obviously he's had his own struggles. If by the time we get to LA, that's when you really see some trouble. If you're having to deal with Zubach and then of course, Anthony Davis, that's when it becomes a real problem. So as we look ahead, like I said, Greg, we won't know if we're two and one or three and oh, but between the Golden State Clippers and LA and LA Lakers game, which of those are you most either excited or intrigued for to see how the Celtics play that matchup? In a weird way, I kind of want to see how we deal with Zubac just because he's so big and he's had some game. He, had a, he almost had a 30-30 game. Yeah, it was a 29-30 and 30, like about a week like, ago. Absolutely wild. And he's one of those guys that is is just a load. you know. And, and actually, real quick, Greg, he's what you just described that we don't know where DeAndre Ayton fits. I think he's firmly in that not a unicorn, but more than just a role guy. He, he's one of those, like the Yusuf Nurkic's, the Jonas Valanciunas's, the guys that, yeah, they're not the top, but they're also not the bottom. They're going to give you a chance if the rest of your team lines up. I think that's firmly where Zubac is. 
Yeah, I think Aiton's probably one level above those guys that you just mentioned. But as you were, I, I, I almost cut you off to say the two names that you just said. Nurkic and Valanciunas and Zubac are like all living yeah. in, in the same area together. They're roommates. Yeah, yeah they're so hanging the, out. <laughs> the guy that actually is going to be interesting is Cornette. How is Luke Cornette mm. going to hold up on on this, you know, and the rest of this road trip? Will he start? I don't think so. Um, maybe he starts against the Clippers just because Zubac is such a load. I think Davis, although he's playing great, he's one of those guys that you can get underneath him and kind of push him out if you need to. Zubac is just so big. He poses yeah. a different type of physical problem. Um, so I think Cornette's going to be huge on this road trip. I wonder if I, I don't want to see Noah Vonley on the court. Um, I don't want to see Cabangele on the court. There's rumors that maybe Rob could be ready at some point on this road trip. Maybe it's after this road trip. Mm-hmm. I would bet it's after the road trip. You don't want to throw him out there into the yeah. fire too soon. So, especially with a, I believe it's a seven-game homestand to end December coming up. That feels like the time you're going to be at home. You're going to have you're going to be at your facilities for basically two straight weeks. It feels like sometime in that mix would be my guess as to when we see Rob Williams. But like you said, we keep hearing these whispers of he's close. He's running. We're getting videos. So it's we know that it's coming. My guess would be it wouldn't be on this road trip, even though for some of these matchups, obviously, you'd love to have him. But, of course, that's the long-term outlook that we're way more concerned about than one road game in, in the middle of December. Um, but I think, like, with this road trip... I, I think the LA teams are going to pose the most interesting matchups for the Celtics and to see how they deal with it. But I'm excited for the finals rematch. Of course. You know, course. It, that's, that's just one where it feels like we need to, and, and I think it's going to be a game, especially where there's two days off after this Phoenix game. So they should be, you know, as rested as you can be in the middle of a long road trip. And you know that this team is going to gear up for it. You know that Tatum and Brown have heard what everyone has said throughout the off season about, you know, the war, you know, what Draymond said about kind of punking us a little bit, what, you know, everyone has said the Celtics ran out of steam. Tatum just wasn't that, despite being that guy for three rounds, all of a sudden the narrative in the offseason was Tatum. I'm not sure if he's that guy. Well, mm-hmm. he's, he's certainly making a statement this season. And, you know, with that game being a primetime game on Saturday night, I feel like that is going to be a massive game for the Jays that they're going to want to come out and really make a statement to make sure that everybody, if you're not paying attention, what you damn well should be right now. Yeah, and the Warriors aren't playing great basketball. Obviously, I'm really, really high on the Pacers. I have been since the beginning of the year. Before, you know, When we did our over-under mm-hmm. pod, that was one of my, my locks, was that the Pacers were going to win a lot more games than people thought. And they just beat the Warriors in Golden yep. State. With no uh, Miles Turner and with no, there's someone else that was Halliburton. There was no Halliburton, yeah. yeah, no Halliburton, no Miles Turner. That's that's a massive road win for the Pacers. Yep, and the Warriors just haven't been great. So if I had to guess, I think the Celtics get revenge on the Warriors, and the Warriors come out with some like, oh, you know, they they you know they were the team that had more to prove than us. Like we won the finals. Yeah. It's just one game. What do we really care about this game? Um, I think the Celtics probably win that game and win win it handedly. I would be really interested to see how Jalen plays in that game. Because although Tatum struggled more than Jalen in the finals, Jalen really, really could have stepped up even more than he did in the finals because of how much he struggled just with the physicality on defense. Like Wiggins versus Tatum, that's going to be something I want to watch to see if Tatum can really take advantage of Wiggins because Wiggins shut him down in the playoffs last year. But Jalen in the Raptors game, man, eight 
assists, zero turnovers. And that assist to turnover ratio keeps going up and up and up where Jalen's almost averaging four assists per game now. And he's playmaking at the highest level of his career. Um, he's turning the ball over much less than than he has. He's having more zero turnover games, right? He might still have some games where he has six or seven turnovers. Happens to everybody. Happens to Tatum, happens to Kevin Durant, happens to the best players in the world. So I'm not too worried about those games where it's really high. But in the games where teams like the Raptors who get up in your jersey and really speed you up and play physical, you have OG Ananobi guarding you for an entire game and you turn the ball over zero times, that bodes really well for Jalen Brown moving forward. Because OG Ananobi is one of the best defenders in the league and Jalen didn't really have problems with him in that Raptors game. So. Uh, really, re- just really looking forward to see how the Jays bounce back from the, a finals performance in which they were underwhelming. Yeah, Jalen is on a tear right now over his last five games or so. Going to be really exciting to see what happens on this road trip. Like I said, we don't know what will happen, what what has already happened in that Phoenix game, but then Golden State on Saturday, and then of course the two LA teams Monday and Tuesday. We will cover all of that uh, the next time that we get on here. But for right now, let's take a quick break, and when we come back. Let's continue gushing over Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because it's fun. Why wouldn't we do that? Let's have some fun. Top five duos in the NBA coming up next. All right, Greg. Top five current duos in the NBA. Little NBA jam style. Of course, we keep talking about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and we are going to get to them, no doubt, here in this top five. And I'm pretty sure y'all can guess where they're going to be. But... We want to talk about what what is the landscape when it comes to duos right now because this is I mean as long as the NBA has been around, duos have been a thing. Of course, you know the the big three uh, became popular for a bit, but it's always been duos throughout NBA history. So let's take a look at the current landscape and l- let's start a little bit talking about some guys who who maybe didn't quite make it because on this road trip we're going to be playing the LA Clippers, right? And they've got guys that typically. I would definitely have on this list. What did you do with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? Because I ruled them out, even though Kawhi just made his comeback the other night. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have them in my top five for sure. So I came up with 19 duos. 19 duos duos that are worth talking about. So let me just, I don't have them ranked in any order, and I'll just kind of read them randomly so I don't give anything away here. Um, But let's start with uh, Jokic and Murray, Garland Mitchell, Trey and DeJounte, Katie and Kyrie, Beal and Porzingis, Butler and Bam, John Bain, Lillard and Simon, Steph and Claymond, uh, Edwards and Towns, Tatum and Brown, Davis and LeBron, PG and Kawhi, Booker and Ayton, Fox and Sabonis, Embiid and Harden, Giannis and Middleton, Siakam and OG, Zion and Ingram. So those are the 19, I think that's right, 19 duos that I came up with that are worth talking about. Yeah, I had 18 on my list. The only one I, I, I don't think I had was Beal and Porzingis, and that was that was more of an oversight. They, they should be written down, but they're not going to be in the top five. Yeah, I mean, the note next to them is just, come on, man. they're not actually one of the duos but they ostensibly the word i love to say they are a duo yeah um yeah so with with uh pg and Kawhi, you know i've never been a huge pg guy but when you put him next to Kawhi leonard when you have a Kawhi leonard who's playing at Kawhi leonard levels yeah they're going to be in the conversation Kawhi just had a game winner but he he looks very ground bound very concerning if you're a Clippers fan, mm-hmm. if you have hopes of them winning a championship. 
he needs to be at least 90% of peak Kawhi. And I don't know that we're ever going to see that again. So I don't have them in my top five. Um, some other guys that were right there on, on the edge for me, um, Katie and Kyrie didn't make my top five. Same here, man. And it's, it, it's really, so this exercise, I'll be honest, was way more challenging than I thought it would be. I, I there's a couple that I, I circled immediately. Like they're going to be on my list. I don't necessarily know what number in the top five, but there was about three to four duos that I was like, all right, you guys are going to be in there. I just got to figure out what the ranking is. But there's a lot of the traditional star pairings that can still be great, but it's hard to really put them in the top five. And KD and Kyrie are at the top of that list. And I'll add Embiid and Harden to that as well. Neither of those made my top five yet i think both of those it would be foolish to say they don't have the like if we were to redo this as the end of the year mm-hmm. is there a chance that both of those duos make it 100 percent, of course but right now i just don't i, I just i couldn't put either of them in my top five right now yeah i agree with you um so the notes i have next to Embiid and harden i just wrote boring next to them <laughs> and for katie and Kyrie, Kyrie ain't it Kyrie yeah, I, I can't rely still the on man, Kyrie. Still the man, but yeah, Kyrie, absolutely not. And, and that's what the other part that made this kind of challenging is that there's a couple quote-unquote duos where there's one individual that's so good that I almost have to put them in my top five even as a collective duo. I don't think that they, mm-hmm. they necessarily line up. And so that, for me, was KD Kyrie kind of fit into that. Jokic and Murray kind of fit into that for me where they didn't make my top five, but just because Jokic is so great that that, and then Embiid and Harden's kind of the same way as well. And then Steph was the other one for me where, you know, normally Steph and clay is, I mean, obviously it's been a little bit with clay right now, but I I just, I I couldn't, it hurt me to not put them in my top five. But actually it's, this is the funny part. I put down Wiggins as his, as his duo partner. Interesting. I I decided. I don't know if you what you heard what I did. I, I heard. Did, I heard what you did. I combined them, so it's Steph and Claymon. And and I've <laughs> got a combo in my list coming too. So I so I understand where you were going with it because it was like I almost I wanted to combine the three of them because it's just Steph. And I tried to look at a couple stats of like breaking it down, which is how players are with each other on the court. Surprisingly, Dame Lillard and John, Jeremy Grant have great numbers with just mm. the two their two man game on the court. But for the Warriors, it was just Steph and either of those three guys. They have great numbers. <laughs> they have great numbers just in two-man lineups that feature Steph. And it's, it's, so it's all Steph, especially the way that those guys are playing, even though Draymond's been better. But that was another one where Steph was so great, he almost elevated them into my top five, but not quite. Okay, so let's get rid of – I just want to get rid, clean up my list a little bit here. So we're getting rid of Jokic and Murray. Yes. They're gone. They're gone. Okay. Jokic and Murray are gone. We're getting rid of – Kyrie and KD. Gone. We're getting rid of Beal and Porzingis. Deuces. We're getting rid of Steph and Claymont. Smell you. We're getting rid of PG and Kawhi. Gone. Okay. Um, we're getting rid of Embiid and Harden. Yep. Tough cut, but I agree That's with a that. Tough cut, but they're 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 on they're on the edge, but they're they're a cut. 25 games into the season right now, they're cut. Okay, so then I think there are some pretty obvious cuts that we can make here. Mm-hmm. Trey and DeJounte, we can get rid of them. Yep. Um, I had Lillard and Simon. Sounds like you had Lillard and Grant. Either way, I don't think. E- either way, they're cut, yeah. but I think, yeah. Yeah, okay, they're cut. Edwards and Towns, they're yeah, cut. they're out. Towns sucks. <laughs> and then Siakam and OG. 
they I don't have a star. It. You need a star in your in and, your and even that I wrote FVV slash OG, but they've yeah. been so bad. So yeah, they're they're out. Okay, Fox and Sabonis. I wrote out. new and fun, but not real. Yeah. Okay. So now, Will, mm-hmm. we have Tatum and Brown, Davis and LeBron, Booker and Ayton, Giannis and Middleton, Zion and Ingram, Garland and Mitchell, Butler and Bam, Ja and Bain. Who would you say is number five on your list? First of all, I I, I have in my notes right now, because I, I did very similar to you. I wrote down, I had 18 versus the 19, talked about not having Beal and Porzingis. And I have my five marked down as to who are my top five. And then I have a star next to three three different ones. So I think we have eight total, and I believe either eight or nine that are left. And I have stars next to the ones that just missed. My number five out of that group, and it, it took me a long time to settle on this, and we'll, we'll see if you want to talk me out of it or maybe you went the same way. I went Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. I like it. I like it. The, so the note that I have next to them, I agree. I, I have them at number five. It might be better for them if that's Mobley because of how good Mobley is um, two ways. And then I think Mitchell's a better player between Mitchell and Garland. You mm-hmm. know, we, we think very highly of Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell between the two of us. Love Dar- Darius Garland. Um, I don't know if you listened to the Simmons and Rasilla pod that just came out, but they were talking about him versus Trey Young. You know, yep. the conversation starting to happen. The conversation that I said was going to happen at the beginning of the year. I said Darius Garland would be looked at as a better player between him and Trey Young by the end of the year. Um, I don't think that they're... Like, are they on the same level as John Bain? That's so a good, that's that's a good debate, right? It, there, it's a great right? debate, and that was that was primarily my number five spot debate was which of these backcourts do I like better? And while I'm a huge, I, I think Desmond Bain's awesome. I think Desmond mm-hmm. Bain is, you know, he's in the way that, and he's only been in the league three years now, but in the way that Jalen Brown keeps getting better, Desmond Bain was a nice surprise. And now he's a guy that I think should, I'd have to go through my list and there's only 12 spots, but he should be firmly in the middle of that all-star conversation. Um, he's a guy that can handle the ball a little bit better than I think most people would have expected him to be able to do. He can initiate the offense. Jock can play off it. Jock can play kind of that cutter role. And so I love the way that they play off of each other. And it was really tough, but I think for me at the end of the day, when I look at Mitchell and Garland collectively versus Ja and Bain, I feel pretty firmly that Mitchell and Garland are two top 25 guys. I think Bain's probably still just a little bit outside of that, and that for me was a little bit of the differentiator. But back to your point about Mobley, that's for me how the Cavs get to this next step is when we have to say, okay, it's and I think Mitchell's probably the, the better player out of Garland, but Garland's still young, so that that could flip. But one of these guys plus Mobley is going to have to be their their top mm-hmm. two for them to be in that championship contention. But I think them at number five is I, I'm okay with it, and but it's a really tough call between them and John Bain in Memphis. Yeah, the note I have next to John Bain definitely in the convo for top five, but we're going to get rid of them here. Yeah, okay, let's get rid of them. so. Get rid of John John Bain. Um, so we're putting Garland and Mitchell firmly at number, at number five. five. I think the other that's let's do our other cuts here. I yep. think to be a duo, right? Both guys have to be on star level. And I think there's one other duo in here that doesn't quite fit that description. And I think that's Booker and Aiden. I yeah. think Booker definitely MVP candidate, 
Aiton, as we said earlier, just we don't really know where to put him yet. Last year, it would have been CP. CP's been hurt. I said at the beginning of the year, I didn't think CP was going to have a great year. Hasn't mm-hmm. played much this year. So we can get rid of Booker yeah. and Aiton as well. So that leaves us with Davis and LeBron, Giannis and Middleton, Zion and Ingram, Butler and Bam. And that is one, two, three, four, five, six. So there's one more of these duos that has to get cut. And I'm leaving Look, it up to you t- to make this cut. So the final cut for me, before we go to our number four spot, was Zion and Ingram. Okay. Make and it was case. a tough cut. It was a tough cut. So, and I'm going to give away, I'm going to give away my number four spot because this was actually, it, it was, it was a really weird process for me where I felt like I had to have Mitchell and Garland kind of in that five spot. And then this number four spot, I initially put them on, then I took them off and then I put them back on. And so and my I guess what you did. Yeah, go for it. You have Butler and Bam here. I do. I have Butler and Bam at four and Zion and Ingram got left out And a little bit of it is just proof of concept. Zion and Ingram. We talked about it when we did all NBA. They're both really good. Zion is starting to come into form these last couple of weeks of just being an absolute monster. And a lot of the role players in the Pelicans have kind of exceeded what I kind of expected from them. And that's been part of what has pushed them to, I think they're, I don't know if they're second or third uh, in the West right now, second in the West right now as we're recording at 15 and eight. But I, I, I still need to see a little, a little bit more. And that's, to a degree, very unfair because I just put Mitchell and Garland at five, and they've 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 only been together for this year. But I I just I just believe in that backcourt, and I believe in that that Cavs team, the Pelicans team. I'm really encouraged by, but I still feel like Zion and Ingram are a little bit of a of a weird match together. Or I, I just want to see it in some high pressure situations. Yeah, to that's see how it really works. Inter- interesting, right? Because I think Garland and Mitchell complement each other better than a lot of people thought that they might. And I don't know that Zion and Ingram necessarily complement exactly. each other, right? So to be a duo combo, right, you kind of have to play off each other a little bit better than they do. So if you take the individual talent of those two duos, I think mm-hmm. you would probably pick Zion and Ingram, especially if you were starting yeah. a team, you would want the size, you would want the generational talent in Zion. Yeah. Um, the guy Ingram at six, nine, who can create his own shot whenever he wants um, a little bit more higher upside on the defensive end. Although Ingram hasn't really shown it consistently and Zion has, has been a turnstile on defense throughout most of his career. It, you, you just want the size there, but I agree with you. I don't think they complement each other well enough to firmly say that they are in the top five. But we have them at number six, which is pretty damn yeah, good. Yeah, which is which is really good. And then I went with Jimmy and Bam at four because, like I said, I I came to them and initially was like, "Yep, they're going to be there." Then I rethought about some of these other guys that we just left off the edge, and was like, "Man, am I really going to put a team that is you know they geared up for the Celtics, but they're losing to the Pistons, they're losing to you know they're they're three games." under 500 right now but then i think about it two out of the last three years they're one shot away from being in the finals twice as the team's two clear-cut best players we just talked about bam's a fringe all nba candidate jimmy has you know when it comes to playoff time when it comes to winning time jimmy might be in the top six seven in the league that you're like i want that guy on my squad we just saw the ridiculous shots that he hit against the celtics a couple days ago to, to go ahead and lock in that overtime game and so at the end of the day, I think I've seen the two of them, even if at times, you know, when I look at Bam in the Eastern Conference Finals, like, bro, you just got to be more aggressive on, on offense. You don't got to be Kendrick Perkins doing 27, 30 points like he wants you, but you have to be assertive and aggressive. And there's things you can ask for. I've just seen 
too much with what they've done over the last three seasons to write that off because of these 25 games to just say it's officially done. Once again, we finish the season out. Maybe, maybe I change my, my tune to that. I'm admitting that's entirely possible, but at this point, especially seeing them gear up for the Celtics game we did a few days ago, I'm not ready to say it's not Jimmy and Bam is one of the top duos. So that's why they got my fourth spot. Yeah. And also with your duo, you want like the identity of your team to follow what your duo does. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what happens in heat culture, right? Bam Adebayo, defensive player of the year candidate. Jimmy Butler is an absolute dog in the defensive end. Both gritty guys that are going to fight tooth and nail every single game. They're never going to give up. And I think although their talent might not be at the same talent and skill level as some other duos um, that we've already cut. I think that because of just their will to win and their mental makeup, that definitely gets them into the top five for sure. So that leaves three. We have Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Anthony Davis and LeBron. Who is in your number three spot? If I had to guess, Will Weir went with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton. You'd be incorrect, sir. Wow. Did you go Davis and LeBron here? I did, and it's, it's 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 a mess on my sheet because I went back and forth about okay. who's two, who's three, and I, I have it crossed out so many times that it was honestly right before we we got ready to come on here today and talk. I had to sit down and say, "Will make a decision, just stick with it." Okay, and I went with I went with LeBron and AD in this three spot, and the main reason I went with them in this spot is right now I feel like it's easy to get swayed because AD has been dominant over the last two, three weeks. But we also just spent two seasons asking for more. We've seen LeBron start to age a little bit. We've seen his body finally start to break down. He's not getting to the free throw line at the same rate. You know, you mentioned that that Bill Simmons and, and Rosillo pod from earlier. He's shooting the worst field goal percentage of his career while taking the most shots he's ever taken in his career. Mm-hmm. And some of that's a byproduct of that team. You know, like, like what else are you, are, are you going to do? But with that, I, I tried not to let the last couple weeks of Anthony Davis persuade me because if he keeps it up, I, I will probably have to put them at two. And if LeBron remains even somewhat healthy, there's a good chance that they move up. But I didn't know if a team that we felt for the better part of the last two and two and a quarter seasons has been the definition of disappointing. Am I really going to say that's the second best duo in the NBA, despite both of these being top 75 guys of all time? And I just felt like I couldn't quite do that yet. However, if Anthony Davis continues to make a case for first team all NBA, happy to reconsider at the end of the season. Yeah, I think if Davis continues to play at this MVP level, now the real conversation is who is the best number two guy in the league? Is it LeBron James or is it Jalen Brown? Right. That's the the real what a what a world we're living in right now. What a what a a world that this is a debate. And that honestly, that could end up being whether it's second or third team all NBA. That that that's gonna be the conversation that we're probably having is all right. So AD makes the center as the first team potentially. Tatum's gonna make that first team as one of the forward spots as long as he stays healthy. And then it's man, Jalen Brown or LeBron James. There's a conversation I did not think we'd be having two, three years ago for sure. 
Yeah, and I think that's why I have Davis and LeBron ahead of Giannis and Middleton, um, just because I think the gap between LeBron and Middleton is bigger than the gap between Davis and Giannis with Davis playing at this level. Mm -hmm. I think I still believe in LeBron. Obviously, there has been a lot of slippage in his game, but he's still putting up crazy numbers. And, you know, when the chips are on the table, I'm going to bet on LeBron James over Chris Middleton. Um, So that's why I have Davis and LeBron at number two. I did flirt with the idea of having him at number one just because of the, the idea I just brought up about LeBron. LeBron being the world's greatest number two. If LeBron James is your second best player, that's a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah. Um, and Anthony Davis has been that dominant and the way that he can affect the game on the defensive end and just being huge around the rim. I know we talked about how he doesn't pose quite the same physical problem that like a Zubach does, but I'm probably going to sound really, really dumb looking, listening back to that when Davis <laughs> puts up like 40 and 25 against us without Al Horford. Um, but yeah, I, th- that's why I would go Giannis and Middleton at three, Davis and LeBron at two, and that leaves us with our well, number real one quick, spot. Before we get to our okay. one, just on Milwaukee very quick. Yeah. Just like you did with the Warriors where, what what you, you called it, Claymont? Yeah. Middle day. That was that was basically how I was thinking of, of, of that setup is Giannis is the best player in the world. I still think mm-hmm. he is, you know, and, and Jason Tim's coming for that crown. Well, we're talking about him in just a second here. But then I think with with Middleton and Holiday, it's it, which is maybe a negative for them in this in this exercise that we're doing. Because technically, you're not really a duo; you're kind of splitting half the guys. Because Middleton's your sidekick on offense, and then Holiday's more of your sidekick on defense. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of splitting the difference. Um, but because Giannis is so great, and I have so much respect for those two, that's where it ultimately won out. But like you said, if Davis keeps playing this way, and LeBron's your number, your number two the record is going to have to improve if they can, if they keep playing this way and then it's going to be really hard not to put them in that position but right now pole position you all knew this was coming you know we were building up to this you know what it is you know what it has to be you know that in my opinion there's no other answer right now it's jalen brown it's jason tatum and what they're doing right now is the word special is probably overused not even probably it's definitely overused but this is a really really special season that they're having right now i mean to get two guys who are only a quarter of the way of away through the season but are going to potentially both be in that first second team all nba conversation currently averaging 57.5 points per game combined it's special and that's the right word for it yeah, and uh, Simmons and Rosillo did a great job kind of showing the historical uh, relevance of those numbers, right? Shaq, they had Shaq and Kobe at 57.2. Um, D Wade and LeBron were at like 53 or something like that. Yep. Kevin Durant and Steph were around that as well. I think they were at 54. So for Tatum and Brown to be at 57.5, to go along with 15.4 rebounds, 7.9 assists, two steals, and 1.4 blocks between those guys. If I, I may have mix, mixed up the steals and blocks numbers, but it, it's just unbelievable. And you know that when one guy doesn't bring it, the other guy stepping up in his shoes. Um, the same stuff I talked about with uh, Butler and Bam, the mindset of your duo, that also is coming from the Jays now, right? They are not only um, leading by example and leading in the stat column, they are now leading vocally. You can see Mm -hmm. them just like leading through their body language as well. There's not 
you know, one thing we've talked about with uh, Jalen over the years is he'll kind of like drag his feet from time to time and it'll look like he doesn't want to be on the court. You haven't seen any of that this year. Both of them are flexing on everybody. Maybe they're front running, but they deserve it. Uh, these guys are the best duo in the league. And when you think about the criteria of a duo that we've been talking about, we kind of just touched on it with Giannis and Middleton, right? Middleton's really not. I mean, he, he's great. Chris Middleton's yeah. a great player. But there's just like another level to get to to be part of a duo. And I don't think Middleton is quite there, but he's enough where with Giannis, you can. Call I mean, the fact that you can't definitively say it, Tim, is the answer right there, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, and you could flip that around to Drew Holiday as well. But like when you think of duos, you think Shaq and Kobe, you think Duncan mm-hmm. and Robinson, you think, you know, Bird and Mikhail, you think Magic and Kareem, Scotty and Michael, obviously, you know, KD and Curry or Curry and Clay. Like it's very definitive. You know who you're referring to when you when you announce these duos. And, and I think I think Bucks fans would tell you it's like clearly Middleton over over Holiday though. Um, it's just like. Middleton, he he's a Celtics killer, but there have been other games in which he's underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. He's 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 like I don't know what is, what would you say? He's like a poor, poor man, Paul Pierce. That's a, that's a fair. I think that's pretty fair to say. You know, poor man's Paul. I mean, Chris Middleton's awesome. Like I, I don't want to yeah. make this seem like it's um, you know anything anti Chris Middleton because I, I he's a guy that I would love to have on the Celtics. He's great, killing us. Yeah. This is just <laughs> for this. this for this conversation exactly. You, you kind of have to be at fit. that level where it's like everyone's like universally accepted. One thing is not like the other. And in yes. this scenario, it's Chris Middleton, just based go. purely on the exercise. But the, the season Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are putting together, it's it, it's one for the record books. I think definitely, obviously, in our lifetime, this is the best duo we've ever seen with the Celtics for, for you and I collectively. Uh, before this, it was probably, what, Antoine and Paul <laughs> in their prime. Uh, no, Paul and KG. Well, of course, Paul and KG. I guess that, that would be that, – that, that gets to the – where's Ray Allen fit to that? But no, it would be Paul and KG would be the top two duo for that. But quick trivia question for you here, Greg. So – we talked about they're averaging 57.5 puts them up there with a lot of duos. And really since 1980 puts them right up there with Shaq and Kobe from I believe it was Oh one Oh two or no 2000, 2001 Shaq and Kobe were at 57.2. And then in Oh one Oh two, they were, Oh no, excuse me. Yeah. Oh one Oh two. They were at 52.4. But what do you think, which duo or what duo do you think since 1980 because there's several Jerry West and Elgin Baylor years that are gonna, no one's gonna catch. What duo do you think has the highest point per game total? And I'll even give you the point per game total if you want it. Yeah, give it to me. Sixty-one point five points per game is what this duo averaged. Can you name that duo since 1980? Jordan and Pippen, <laughs> James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Right. What's the, what's, the, what's the most that Jordan and Pippen ever averaged? Uh, that I don't. I mean, Pippen wasn't a big uh, a big score, but obviously because Jordan would be in the 30s, I'm sure yeah, it's that's, up that's there at some point. Um, I'd have to go back and double check, but at least the list I'm looking at right now it has uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook at the top of that list at 61.5 points per game. I, I love how Simmons and Russell just didn't even mention that. <laughs> yeah, 100. percent But it's just because it didn't it didn't work, so it's it's a, it's a blip in the in the radar, but. That's a pretty good list, Greg. So read us back. What is the official top five list that we that we okay. come up with? Number five, Garland and Mitchell. Number four, Butler and Bam. Number three and number two, we we didn't decide on that one, but it's either Giannis and Middleton or Davis and LeBron. And then number one, 
Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. And I feel really good about that. Really? I mean, that's that's the thing. When I told you that this was a harder exercise than I expected it to be, because you and I talked about doing this maybe about two weeks ago, that at some point we were going to plan this out. That was the easiest part of this exercise. Oh, yeah. They're firmly and, number one. And it doesn't feel biased. Like I said, no. I, when we did the All-NBA, I tried my best to be unbiased and be and even push it to the side and try to find arguments against myself for Jalen Brown being second team all NBA. And I had to really dig. And it for this, it, it wasn't necessary because there is no argument. It's the two of them. They are the number one best duo in the NBA, but that's a fun exercise. Let us know if you guys agree, don't agree with what we said, fill up our comments. Uh, you can do it on, we'll, we'll post this on Celtics blog as well as part of the podcast. Uh, also hit us up on at green MV pod on Twitter with your thoughts, uh, or you can hit us up on our individual uh, Twitter accounts as well at mini minnow for Greg at Wilbon 13 for me. Before we wrap up, Greg, captain, my captain, it was a hell of a season for the ATX green with envy men's basketball team. Brought home the championship last night in a war of attrition in a rousing 34 to 32 final buzzer beating layup. Do you want to give a, a little synopsis or, or give us a little, a little rundown on your thoughts of, of the, of our, of our season? I thought it was a great season. We only, uh, we were one point away from having an undefeated season we lost to the worst team in the league. We just like pretty much the game that we just played in the championship. We also played yeah. in that game that we lost. We were down. Well, so it was 12 to 11 at halftime. We scored 11 <laughs> points in the first half. Let's just get that out there. Shout out to our guy, Zach, who had really, really struggled throughout the entire season where he was really down on himself. Shout out to you. Real Zach. quick for our listeners. We know how pathetic 12 to 11 is. You don't have <laughs> you, you. You can chirp us all you want and feel free to. I have no problems with that. We understand how pathetic 12 to 11 at halftime score. We just Continue. couldn't score, man. And we we just like forgot how to play basketball for the first half. If, if you've ever played, I don't know if it was because it was the championship and we were nervous or whatever, but we just didn't play how we normally play. I, I, I don't know how to describe it otherwise. Like I we have some, we were overthinking is what I think we were doing. I think we, yeah. we collected because we were so excited for the game that we were like, all right, we need to do this. We need to do that. I need to be this. Like, I know for me, like I've missed a couple jump shots. I thought I should have made. And by the second half, I was in my own head. I wasn't shooting mm-hmm. the ball with any type of confidence. was making poor decisions. It, it felt like things for our team just spiraled in that first half. And if it wasn't for our guy being able, our guy, Zach, being able to knock down a couple of shots, good God, we, we would have scored two points in the first half. As bad as it was, it could have been worse. It, it was rough. And Zach got off the snide in the, in the um, semifinal game where he, he finally scored a couple layups at the end of the game. And Broke we all his PJ Tucker spell. Yeah. And it was huge. I mean, we needed him to have that game in the semifinals because in the championship, he really stepped up, had nine of our 11 points in the first half. Who had the other two? Was it Jordan? It was Jordan. Jordan had a layup after we missed, I think, probably about seven to eight layups previously. So, I mean, think about that, man. Like, AJ, who we've talked about on this pod before, is six foot eight and pretty much unstoppable. He gets held scoreless in the first half. I play awful in the first half, just have no rhythm whatsoever in my own head. I didn't I didn't have one paint touch in the first half, I don't think. Um, aside on the fast break where I just like I don't even know what happened. I just like blew a layup. <laughs> um and then the second half, we get down 27 to I, th- I think it was 27 to 16 with about 10 so. minutes left. And we decide, you know what, we have to go, man. Because the other team, they're starting to think they're winning. They're pulling away from us. And we're like, all right, hell no. We're not losing to this team. We're better than them. So we start picking them up full court. They don't score for the next seven minutes of the game. 
So it's, we end up taking the lead. I think I hit a couple free throws to make it 28 it to 27. 27. Yeah. It was, was and then, free throws. And then I had a layup um, off a of rotation to go up two. And then their best player really stepped up at the end of the game. But so it's 32 30 with about 15 seconds left. Their best player gets the ball, drives left on me. I don't want to foul. So I got kind of got my hands back, make him make a left handed layup. He makes the layup. Eight seconds left. We don't have any timeouts. AJ told me after the game, he said he wanted me to take the ball out of bounds so that he could bring the ball up the court. But <laughs> I made him take the ball out of bounds. So he gets it. He gets it to me, and I just get it and go. I'm off like a rocket. I'm like, we we don't have any timeouts. The clock's running. I got to get down the other end of the court. Our guy Aaron sets an unbelievable screen at half court and just lays out like four dudes. There's probably <laughs> a foul on that, but I'll, all I see, I look That's behind. That's neither me. here nor there. Yeah, neither here nor there. <laughs> So everyone's in just like a, a, a heap, like Jon Snow in freaking Game of Thrones at, at the, in, in the at a half court. And I look up and Matt Martin, our guy Ice, is wide open down the other end. There's a guy, I think he was around the foul line who was stepping up to guard me. And the moment he committed to guard me, I just threw it right over the top to Ice. And I, was, I literally yell as I pass, I go, you got this, Maddie, come on. <laughs> Guess it lays it up. I think there was two seconds, two seconds left. left. Two seconds left as the ball goes through the net. The other team, I think they had a timeout, but they didn't call it. And the clock just runs out. I run down the court, both hands in the air. Crowd goes wild. There was actually a crowd at that game. I know, and, it was fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We, we won the championship. Great season. What were your thoughts? I mean, it was, like you said, I think we honestly played, if not our worst game of the year, second worst game of the year in the championship. And it was a little bit like how we talked about the the Celtics the other night. Not all games are going to be one pretty. And this was the definition of winning a game that wasn't pretty. But throughout the season, man, it was great to get back out there. I feel like throughout the season, everybody had a couple of moments or two that you could point to that either helped us to a win in a moment where we needed a pickup. And for the most part, you know, defensively, we were locked down all season. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Jim Beheim would have, would you know, Jim Beheim would be jealous of the zones that we were throwing out there that were locking teams up. So I'm really proud that our defense was consistently there throughout the year. It was only really a handful of times where we just could not get the ball in the basket, whether it was layups or open threes, we just couldn't make them a handful of times, but we persevered. Shout out to our guys. Um, Jeff, if you're listening, we're looking to get a little sponsorship deal going. If you want to help us out with some jerseys, we're trying to get some guerrilla marketing down here in Austin, Texas. We'll get the podcast on there. We need to get some jerseys. That was a big requirement out of our team is that Greg and I find a way to get us some actual jerseys so we're not mismatched. So hopefully that's coming soon. But if y'all been following us, you saw us tweet out that photo of the championship. I'm sure we'll put out a few more. Uh, But hell of a season, Greg. A lot of fun. Can't wait to run it back. Let's see if we can get Blake Griffin on Blake Griffin on loan for a for a few games next season. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's do it, man. And with that, that's going to wrap up this episode of Green with Envy. You always ask me at the end of every episode if I have anything else. Do you, my friend Will Weir, have anything else before we send it to some Black Sheep Optimists? I got nothing, man, but good vibes. I'm on my way about to head down to Mexico City. Going to go have myself a little bit of a weekend. I hope you all do the same. I hope the Celtics keep this up. We will check back in with y'all on Monday morning. We'll be recording on Sunday night. Until then, everybody have a great week. Peace out, y'all.
How is it that I never seen the stars in your eyes? A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage. Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe. But I stay for a minute, cause I'm digging the vibe. I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes. Don't be catching feelings when it's only a vibe. Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy. You know, the one thing different is the state of your mind. I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope. I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float. You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote. But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope. Cause you know that that embody that's what go with the flow. I can sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes. You had me taking off when you took off your clothes. This should be coming down by now, but I won't.